Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who will hopefully never run out of our arrangement. It's Lydia. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I guess I could say, I'll stay with you a little <laughs> uh, while. That's perfect. <laughs> With a little bit of editing, that's exactly what you said. (laughs) (laughs) The magic of recording. (laughs) Before we go any further, I first want to thank everyone for tuning in and let anyone who may not already know that they can listen and subscribe to this show uh, via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I mean, you name it, we're out there. Whatever podcast app you choose, if you have the option to rate and review us, please do so. We have a Facebook group that you can join. Just go to Facebook.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Orphaned Entertainment there, and there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the podcast. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com. Also, remind folks that we are still looking for an original script for a five-minute mystery that Lydia and I will produce. So, come on, let's... What else do you have to do right now? (laughs) For a little inspiration, let's go ahead and listen to one of the original five-minute mysteries and a promo for another fine podcast. And when we return, Will will discuss 1932's British romantic comedy, There Goes the Bride. Another five-minute mystery. Mrs. Holmes, how do you like it? Oh, it's beautiful, Ken. Just think, we'll be spending the rest of the month of August up here. I always said the Adirondacks is the finest country in the world for vacationing. Well, it's been so long since we've had a real vacation, too. There was always some murder or robbery to interfere with our plans. You know, being married to a private detective certainly has its disadvantages. But starting today until the end of August, it's all pleasure and no business, Beth. (gasps) Ken, watch out! Say, what's the matter with you? Don't you know any better than to run in front of a car like that? I'm awfully sorry, but I was in a hurry to get some help. A man's been killed. There he is, at the bottom of the cliff. What is it, Ken? Stay back, Beth. I wouldn't look over the edge if I were you. It's not a very pretty sight. I'd say that was about a 300-foot drop. You didn't have a chance. I told him not to do it. I told him not to. You knew him, then? Yes, he was a friend of mine, Gordon Gray. Gordon Gray? Why, Ken, that couldn't be the Gordon Gray we met at the National Museum. He was curator of birds there. Did you know him? Only slightly. Had a few talks with him when my wife and I visit the museum. I'm an amateur at birds myself. Did you work with him? No, my name is Wallace, Carl Wallace. I was merely a good friend to Mr. Gray. Well, how did it happen, Wallace? Well, you see, Gray and I were walking along the edge of the cliff here. He invited me out on a field trip with him. He was pointing out some birds to me when suddenly he spied a hawk's nest on a ledge a little ways down the cliff. Where's the nest, Wallace? I really don't know. His eyes were so much keener than mine, he could pick out things like that almost by intuition. 
Hawks build their nests along the sides of cliffs, you know. Yes, he told me that once. Well, he said he saw some eggs in the nest. He'd like to get them. He started to climb over the edge, and I begged him not to do it. He fell? Yes, he'd gotten about ten feet down the cliff when suddenly he seemed to get dizzy. He put one hand to his head, he waved a moment, and, and then he fell. Oh, Ken. And he was such a nice old man, too. Yes, it's a pity anyone would want to murder him. Murder? Well, what's the matter with you? I just told Nothing's you. the matter with me, Wallace, but things will be pretty exciting for you when you come up on trial for the murder of Gordon Gray. What clue tipped off Ken Holmes that Gordon Gray had not met with accidental death, but had been murdered? The answer in a few moments, but first... Hello, everybody. I'm Ross, and what's the crack? And I'm Rock. And this is our podcast, I Understood That Reference. We cover all corners of the pop culture spectrum, including movies, comics, which is my favorite, games, and everything in between. With our own unique mix of games, trivia, a little insight, all wrapped up in Irish accents. And of course, the tin whistle. <laughs> so get up them stairs and download this podcast into your ears. I'm Ross. I'm Rob. And this has been I Understood That Reference. Available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podchaser, and whenever else decent podcasts are available. Yay! And now, back to our story. You're crazy, Holmes. I told you exactly what happened, and that's the truth. Not exactly the truth. You were running away from the scene of a crime when I almost ran you down to the car. A crime you'd committed. Gordon Gray didn't fall 300 feet to his death. You pushed him. Your on-the-spot alibi wasn't bad, except for one thing. A highly rated curator of birds at the National Museum wouldn't have said that he saw a hawk's nest with eggs in it on this mountainside. At least not in the month of August. The hawk's nesting period ended in June. Don't put words in a dead man's mouth, Wallace. They're dangerous. The Bride was directed by Albert Day Corville and stars Jesse Matthews as Annette, our runaway bride, and Owen Nares, N-A-R-E-S, Nares, sounds good, (laughs) is Max, the wealthy man who happens to be sharing a train cabin with her and gets unwillingly pulled into aiding her from hiding from her father's men and indeed all of Paris. And somewhere in the film is a young and uncredited David Niven making his (laughs) film debut. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Lydia, I, I figured you had to be hunting for him. If you saw I, that before you watched it, you I had to did, be hunting. No, I didn't know it. I didn't know it until <laughs> today. And then I saw that just on some information and I went, what? And I went back and had to like, you know, I'm just sitting there with like with my eyes glued to the screen trying to find him. I think we found him. Did you? I think so. Was he... I, was he one of the guests or was he in the crowd at the train depot? There's only a few places where there's like a lot of people. <laughs> there's not, there aren't many places, but we can talk about that once we get into All right, cool. what happens. <laughs> well, Jesse Matthews was an actress, dancer, and singer of the 1920s and 30s. 
She made her film debut in 1923 in the silent film The Beloved Vagabond, but she was most well known for her work on the stage. Matthews was in the chorus in Charlotte's Review of 1924 in London, and she went with the show to New York, where she was uh, also the understudy for the star, Gertrude Lawrence. The show moved to Toronto, and when Lawrence fell ill, she took over the role and was given fantastic reviews. As a dancer, she was the first performer of numerous popular songs of the 20s and 30s, including A Room with a View by Noel Coward and Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love by Cole Porter. Matthew's fame reached its initial height with her lead role in Charles B. Cochran's 1930s stage production of Evergreen. At its time, Evergreen which included the first major revolving stage in Britain, was the most expensive musical ever mounted on a British stage. Her first major film role was Out of the Blue in 1931. She then appeared in two films directed by Albert de Corville in 32, The Midship Maid and There Goes the Bride. From there, she had a very successful film career throughout most of the 30s and early 40s, though she had to sail through some controversy while she was having an affair with the very married director, Sonny Hale. A high court judge denounced her as an odious individual with her love letters to Hale were used as evidence in the case of his divorce from his wife. If I cease to be a star, she wrote in a piece for Picture Goer in 1934, all that interest in my home life would evaporate, I believe. Perhaps it is the price one has to pay for being a star. The constant fight that, that famous people have, I think. During the war, she would tour, tour and entertain the troops as a member of the Entertainment's National Service Association. Her popularity waned a little bit after, uh, after several years' absence from the screen following an unsatisfactory thriller called Candles at Nine in 1944. She still remained active throughout the 50s and 60s, however, finding work on stage, in films, and as well as on television. Which I'm not surprised because I think we'll get into it. We'll get into it a little bit more. But she is an incredibly talented <laughs> person. She's fantastic to watch. She's very different. Um, mm-hmm. She's not the classic Hollywood beauty or even the classic British beauty that we're so used to seeing, especially in the films from this era. So she's, I think, an interesting choice in the fact that she doesn't have what you think of as traditional beauty. Uh, and still did as well as she did it's, mm-hmm. uh, is a testimony to how good she is of an actor and how much fun she is to watch. Apparently she had a lot of trouble kind of gaining ground again after the war. Uh, her film roles, it just, you know, things just didn't come as much. She had obviously had a film that didn't do too well. I read a couple different reasons for it, uh, talking about how she kind of represented just a different time in Britain and no one wanted to have anything to do with that anymore. And that is probably true as well, but I also was thinking, try to think of a uh, a really strong l- female-led film post-World War II. I think there's some, of, uh, some amount of, um, you know, the boys are all back from the war, they're all the heroes, <laughs> we need to make them the heroes in the films, and you can't have someone as strong as she is lead a film and have the man being really, you know, the guest role you know, the second billing. I, and I think too, I think you're very right about her representing a certain time in history. She does have, um, a very, like a more of a classic twenties and thirties appeal. Once you get into the forties, you have people like Betty Davis and, um, Barbara, um, Stanwyck. 
Thank you. I almost said Barbara Streisand, Barbara Stanwyck that are coming in as just these bombshell, really intelligent women. Mm -hmm. And while Jesse Matthews is, she is like that. She is more the kind of, she seems more the kind of fun loving kind of, you know, light and airy heroine more than the, uh, the tempster, the temptress and the, right. I mean, she's, just kind of got a different quality to her. She's waifish for one thing. And waifish went out with the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it all, it became all about the curves and all about the, the sultry Veronica Lake kind of look. And that is not a look that she carries it, as I already mentioned. So I wonder if that wasn't part of it too. People's tastes just to change. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's lots of factors that went into it and it's, it's unfortunate when you see someone, I mean, we've, this is only the only film I've seen her in, but, I'm thinking I'm going to reach out and kind of look out for other films with her after seeing this one. I agree. But only yeah. after seeing this film, you think, wow, a, one film and like I'm already pecking her as really talented. Yeah. And it's like, so it's really, I, I think it's really unfortunate that someone this talented could find themselves no longer working because they don't fit the quote unquote mold uh, mm-hmm. of the current time. I think it's, I think that happens though. I think that happens a lot. So it'd be interesting to do something of a study of that going through, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the real female archetypes of different eras. And you could find, I'm sure, dozens and dozens of actresses that worked really well for a very short period of time. And then they just weren't what was popular anymore. Just imagine, I mean, you know, put on the, the, the um, you know, the go back in time and the, the what if m- machine or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, had, <laughs> had Marilyn Monroe survived and, and lived a longer life. Mm-hmm. What would have happened with yeah, her? Yeah, her star, you know, she, there was a very, you know, she had that little niche that uh, in that perfect time that she kind of her star was beginning to rise. But it wouldn't be too much long after where those kind of characters that she portrayed Eh, not so popular anymore. You don't want to yeah. see that. And could she could she have rolled with the punches, so to so to speak, and mm. changed to to fit the the new paradigm? <laughs> use, use I, and fancy it's words. hard to imagine the the people that you see that were extremely popular in their day. You come to view them as that, and it's yeah. hard to it's hard to imagine them in a completely different type of role. And definitely, people get typecast. Well, she's not the only one in this film. I will mention a little bit about Owen Nares. He had a very long stage and film career, uh, which began with in bit parts in West End productions as early as 1908. Wow. I noticed he was born in, eight, in 1888. Yeah. So that's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> in 1914, Nares appeared in Dandy Donovan, the first of the 25 silent films in which he appeared. The early 1920s was kind of his golden period, appearing in film as the male lead opposite some of the most famous actresses of the day, as well as still having a thriving stage career. Wow. With the advent of sound pictures, his considerable stage experience meant that he was still much in demand and starred in several films. He was, however, too mature to be the youthful, handsome star he had been a decade earlier, so in the last films he made, he found himself playing supporting roles. It's kind of interesting in this film, we see uh, Matthews, Jesse Matthews, kind of early in her career. I mean, this is only mm-hmm. like maybe her fourth or, fourth or fifth film. And we see Nairs kind of towards the end of his career. He would only be in another 
handful of films, I, I think less mm-hmm. than a dozen films before he uh, passes away or retires from uh, from from acting. So he's he's at the end, he's at the beginning. So it's an interesting uh, pairing between these two. It is. It's an interesting. Uh, typically, it would be an interesting casting choice, but I think that th- it's very intentional in this case. You really want a young, flighty bride and a more mature man who's not interested in getting involved, but is drawn in unintentionally anyway. Um, something that I noticed, he acted up through 1941, and shortly after that, his wife passed away. And then we don't see him again, uh, or we don't see him again, and then he passed away not long after that. But um, uh, that might have been all that I had to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that probably was contributing, you know, to his disappearing from from film from there on. Well, there was some other stuff going on. And well, if you're an actor who spent, you know, most of his career is the, the leading man. And now you found yourself sort of delegated to these supporting roles. How much longer, the older you get, you know, the less and less roles are available to are you. available for you. Exactly. Well, it's, and it's interesting. If you look at, I mean, I was just looking through his films earlier today and it, he played, you know, Louis the 15th in a movie. He's, he's cast frequently from here on out as doctor or Lord so-and-so or, mm-hmm. you know, the king and because you know he's got that more mature kind of look to him and he does he has a really interesting look to him um he's sort I, I of I would a, say that it's I and I hate to put it this way but he's very british he's very <laughs> british he he looks sort of like a a less finely featured David Niven, which made me a a little bit amused when I was looking for David Niven in this film because every once in a while, Owen Nairs would be there and I'd be like, ah, nope, (laughs) not him. But yeah, he just, he, he's just got that quintessentially British look to him. Like so many other film stars of the era. He would occasionally make me think is like, this is what John Cleese would have been like if he did dramatic (laughs) roles. Yes. John Cleese. I was trying to think, who does he remind me of? But yeah, John Cleese is a good analogy. I think both he and Jesse Matthews have very good screen presence. Um, regardless of whether they're exceptional actors or not, I was thinking about this a minute ago. They act; it may not be that it's so much phenomenal acting as much as it is just presence. Um, they're just fun to watch, and they're especially fun to watch together. Yeah, I was going to say they actually have for someone's on two very different ends, both in age and career. The chemistry that they actually manage to uh, <laughs> have on the screen is really, really well. I mean. It, that's not mm-hmm. a real, that's not a real good sentence, but you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> they have very good chemistry. I agree. They do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned. I, I guess should we talk about the directors and the writers a little bit? Yeah, if you've got something, I, I, I have to do. admit I didn't come up with a, a whole heck of a lot on them. Please do. I I feel like I should do a little bit better of a job doing some research this time for some reason, I think, because I enjoyed the movie so much. Uh, I've watched it two and a half times today. So <laughs> that's and I watched it before that, too. So uh, but no, I you know, obviously, we've mentioned that it was directed by Albert de Corville. He was around. He did do some things. If you're curious, look him up. He's got some credits. But uh, the more interesting one to me was the writer, Henry Coster who is the top-billed writer for this movie. Um, He's credited with the story, 
But he actually was a writer and a director, really well known for The Bishop's Wife and Harvey, the movie with Jimmy Stewart. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was just delighted to find that out. He did a a later remake of uh, My Man Godfrey, not the one with William Powell, unfortunately, (laughs) but... Um, it, it does have David Niven in it. We just gonna, are going to keep going back to David Niven. <laughs> but no, uh, but it's interesting. I was thinking it's such an entertaining story. I was really interested in finding out a little bit more about the writers. And I was just very surprised to see that it, this was a German-born, a German-born writer and director mm-hmm. who also happened to be connected with a couple of other really great And films. just to, if anyone um, watches and, and wonders and thinks Linnea made a, a slip-up, just so you know, he's credited as Kosterlitz in the film, I believe, on, on the title is card. Is he? Yeah. It, as Herman Kosterlitz, yes. you are correct. Instead of Henry mm-hmm. Koster, you're yep. correct. Um, so interestingly, that, and then there was something else I was going to mention. I Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh. No, no, you're good. I'm glad you said that because uh, I didn't – I wasn't paying close enough attention to mention that. And I didn't – so he was the one big writer credit on it that I really found interesting that he had been involved in those other those other projects. Um, one other thing interesting – one other interesting thing is I was wondering where this story had come from. And it actually was originally a German-made movie in 1931 called I'll Stay With You. The German for it, which I'm going to absolutely butcher, ich blieb die dir, <laughs> I guess. Not ich liebe die, for those of you who actually speak German, I know what that means. It's not that one, which is I love you. This is actually I'll stay with you. So, um, But it's interesting to me that you had this movie that was made in Germany literally a year before this one. And then you had a couple of German writers, Henry Koster, Wolfgang Wilhelm, and they took it apparently i don't know if they i don't know if they pitched it to this other studio or if somebody at the studio found it and were, they were like we should you know adapt this it'd be really interesting to find that out i couldn't find the german version anywhere i looked and i'm really sad cuz i would have loved to have seen how similar it is to this one which was just a remake right. literally a year later yeah that would be interesting to see um, I think so. The the photos, the stills that I saw from the original German one, or the posters and things, look very similar. So it'd be interesting to see how close they kept it. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I originally I, I misread something. I thought it was based on a play, but it, what you're right, it was a German film. That's interesting. And it could have been from a German play, but I didn't. No, I think I just I, I, did, I think I just the the read the paragraph too fast and mixed my words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be very interesting to see. Although I doubt, unfortunately, I doubt you would be able to find a copy that is had any English subtitles or anything from this time. If if the film even <laughs> still exists, I couldn't find yeah. it at all. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking it could very well be lost. But um, if anybody has a lead yes, on please. it, let us any, know. We'd love to. Any, any listeners it. in Germany or in Europe that know anything about it, please. Yes. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> and I, you know, this is a film too. That we we usually go through and we talk about the uh, the cast, and then that leads us to talking about the film. And on this one, the cast is effectively two people. 
there are so many people in this movie, but really, right? They're just Everyone else is really <laughs> minor. They're they're there because they need someone to drive the car, or they need someone to <laughs> <laughs> to be the fiance. <laughs> yeah, but none of them are in the film long enough for you to really get an impression of anything other than, well, they're fine, but I like these other two better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting. I I think. The a good example is Cora, the Max's fiance, played by Carol Goodner, about whom I know pretty much nothing. She she has some credits, but not a phenomenal number. She is kind of that classic Hollywood beauty look that we were talking about. She's the one that you would typically see cast in the lead in this type of movie, but and she's almost not on the screen long enough for you to even notice how pretty she is. Uh, she's just there. And, and then she's wondering why there's another woman there. And then she's gone. Oh, you, you could absolutely see where her and Jesse Matthews were both came and auditioned and read for the same part. And, you know, they said, I think Jesse's maybe <laughs> good for this one, but, uh, Hey, Carol, could you come in and read for the you know, Cora? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I mean, she's, She's funny. She's just a very, she's just that typical brunette that you see in every movie of this era. Um, you know, either, either as a supporting role or as a main character, but she, she's just, Jesse Matthews stands out because she's not just that typical look. That you yeah. And we get. need to talk more about her. The character Annette. Annette is <laughs> hilarious. She is so funny. <laughs> and and I've I've talked about this before. We've this is not the first time we've come across it an, an actor in a film that I've I've said this about. She has a very natural quality. I feel like she's mm-hmm. in this film, but she's not acting. That's how she it comes across mm-hmm. so natural and so easy and so fluid that I'm thinking this is just her. Either she's just that good of an actress. Or this is just her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she the character is extremely fun. Um, and I, I mean, I know that actors bring a little bit of themselves to every role. Sometimes they bring a lot of themselves right. to a role. And this is this is a case where, you know, she the, the character is a runaway bride. That's what she is. She's just trying to find a way to stay out of out of the limelight for 24 hours until she doesn't have to yes. go through with this wedding. Her, her uh, supposed, but, her arranged marriage fiance has to, <laughs> has to leave the country, has to go to South America in 24 hours. So if she can stay hidden for that long, she, she can avoid she can getting avoid married. <laughs> At least until the next time he comes <laughs> yeah. back to France. <laughs> but but they could have been played as a very, you know, dramatic, doughy-eyed, sweet sort of girl that's trying to escape this. And and instead they chose Jesse Matthews, who is not that traditional bombshell. She is a hoot. <laughs> she's hilarious. And she's quippy and she's witty and she's waifish. And, and and still a strong she, character. That's what I really love. She is. And she is just absolutely okay with just torturing the heck out of this middle-aged man that accuses her <laughs> of theft. <laughs> and it is so funny. <laughs> it is really funny. And and I love how there are moments in this where, you know, things are going on and he's trying to 
you know, he's just this upright guy. He's just this upstanding citizen. And she'll think about it a minute. And then she'll like, you can see on her face where she gets an idea that she's mm-hmm. going to mess with him. <laughs> and then she does. And the result is hilarious. I think one of my, uh, my one of my first favorite lines <clears throat> in the film is after she, she thinks she's uh, ditched him. The whole thing, you know, they're, they, they have to share a train car. <laughs> And they're both sleeping, and a, a thief comes in and sees the door open and sees her with her bag lay on her lap. And there's, first of all, a hand, oh man, applause to the director for this film too. Because did you see this moment? Did you catch it? The, the train's rocking and everything. She's sleeping. <laughs> she's head. sleeping, and her head is rocking like no. Back and yeah, forth. No, no. And. <laughs> Uh, Owen or uh, Max <laughs> Max is over. over there sitting and he's sleeping and his hit in his head is bobbing. Yes. <laughs> There's so much of that in this movie where there just are little things that are just you you have to watch it. The half of the movie is the act is not I'm sorry, not the acting, but yes. the action. There's so but, much added to this movie. But this guy ends up stealing her bag while she's sleeping. When she wakes up, she realizes the bag is gone. Well, she sees what she thinks is her bag sitting under Max. And she goes to get it before he wakes up. But he, of course, does wake up and catches her. He thinks she's <laughs> trying to steal his bag. Does not believe her <laughs> when she's trying to explain what must have happened. And so he wants to... Uh, turn her in and she begs him not to calls the but she won't tell him yes. why she can't be involved with the police won't tell him his <laughs> her name nothing but he's trying to be like yeah like you were saying he's trying to be the upstanding british gentleman and he's like well he, he, he can't throw this poor girl out and he, he wants the truth and so he's gonna keep her under under lock and key <laughs> Like you do. I mean, come on. Who hasn't done that? Thought somebody was stealing something from them and been like, you have to stay with me until you tell me the truth. I do that all the time. Sometimes I just pretend somebody's trying to steal something from me just so I can come home. I wish these people I've got living in my basement would tell me the truth so I can get them the hell out. (laughs) Right? But uh, at one point, she manages to slip away rather cleverly, I think. And she tries to hide in a car that's out in the parking lot. And of course, it turns out to be his car. <laughs> what are you doing in my car? You said I wasn't to escape. But you couldn't possibly have known this was my car. It was the best one there. Naturally, I said, it is his. Well, if you're a thief, I'm a fool. You could be a fool without my being a thief. That's very, very true. <laughs> he says, well, that's true, I suppose. I love that. I I love this. There Just before this, she, of course, is hiding in a car trying to get away from him. He calls his car forward. It her, turns out to be the same car. He gets in and he sits down and he looks and she's sitting next <laughs> to him. <laughs> and he goes, you forgot your case. And she says, thank you. <laughs> and yes, they drive away. It is so great. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's hilarious. So just the look between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, it happens over and over again in this movie where you, you there is so much communicated without words between the two of them. And that's what makes them so great to watch together. 
I've, I've watched a lot of films and I think, oh, that they're funny. You sit there, you can think they're funny. It's very rare where I f- catch myself sitting here watching the film and I actually catch myself giggling. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And she's got, speaking of giggling, she's got this laugh that is just, it's funny. It's not a silly laugh, but it's just like this cute, funny giggle. <laughs> and every time she laughs, I end up laughing too. Because you, you see this little wicked glint and she's like laughing and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, what's she going to do next? <laughs> I'm so excited to see. <laughs> I love, so they get back to his home and she, of course, she just wants something to eat. She's got no food, no no money. All her, you know, her ID and everything were stolen. And she just wants some food. And, of course, gets interrupted. And I love how, uh, well, uh, first of all, she does this little song in this bit, which you heard a little clip of. <laughs> in your arms so tender, I'm content to be. his reactions to it he doesn't say anything the whole song there he doesn't sing along you know for all you know he's never heard the song before but by the end of it he's just kind of you know like oh what a nice pretty girl and then as soon as she's done with the song she's like <laughs> ah! <laughs> and he's like suddenly back to himself <laughs> but i love so i i guess i'm muddling this all <laughs> you're fine <laughs> What ends up happening is he gets a telegram and starts just full on panicking. <laughs> and I love he's running back and forth trying to find his cook. And and he, she says, what happened? <laughs> Annette says, what happened? And Max comes back, his hands flailing, and he goes, something. And he runs back <laughs> out the door. <laughs> I can't even get any words out. <laughs> Can we briefly talk about his yes. housekeeper? Let's only, talk. <laughs> only because I don't, I don't even remember if she really, I think she only has like two lines in the entire film. But my favorite moment <laughs> is after uh, Annette convinces Max to let her stay. <laughs> He tells her, "Is like, oh, could you prepare the, the the spare room? You know, the lady will be staying for the evening." The housekeeper, the look <laughs> she gives going out that door oh. is priceless. It's mm-hmm. that kind of a woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. <laughs> well, I love the lead into that as well. You know, he says, "You know." Well, you'll have to stay here. And she says, oh, well, that's great. And he, he says, well, this is a bachelor place. And she says, oh, I don't mind bachelors. Married men are the worst. And he <laughs> yes. says, well, there's only one spare room next to my room. She goes, oh, how unfortunate. But still. <laughs> and so it sets you up. So you already know that there's only one extra bedroom and it's right next to his bedroom. And so when the housekeeper gives that extremely knowing look, oh, you want me to set up the guest room, huh? <laughs> 
Oh, that goodness. was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so it turns out the telegram is from his fiance, who is coming to a little bit of a, a surprise visit, I suppose. And so he is scrambling to try to find, and he, he go, you can't stay here. <laughs> I love, I love too. He's running around flailing, and she kind of sneaks over and reads his his telegram. And oh yeah, so sure. She knows, and yep. that's when you know she. So got is someone him. coming? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I I do like throughout this whole movie. At, at no point do either of the characters just blatantly lie to one another. Of mm-hmm. um, I. I even though she refuses to tell him the details, and at one point he says, "Tell me the truth, or I'm going to call the police." And she tells him the truth, and he says, "So it's the police then." And he goes to <laughs> call the police. <laughs> but I, I do love it. Not, neither one of them is out to you know hoodwink the other, but they end up in this comedy of errors, and and I love like she. She can kind of see all of the humor from the situation from the minute that she knows his fiance is coming. She's like, oh, yes. I've got it. He has to take care of me now. It's she might be blackmailing him, but she's not <laughs> lying to him. And I love it. At no point does she, you know, try and make him look bad. Even when the fiance comes in, she still does everything she can to pretend to be, well, you know, first a ghost, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and then, of course, the housekeeper's daughter, <laughs> which is a great scene. Who are you? Me. I'm the cook. How long has this affair been going on between you and your cook? Oh, you can't be serious. Mary, how often have I told you you must not bring your children into the kitchen? I'm sorry, sir. It wasn't Mother's fault. <laughs> There, there, but it mustn't happen again. You expect me to believe that she's the... Yes. Is this your daughter? I am unmarried. My unmarried mother. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's hilarious. I, I guess you're going to hear us say it's hilarious a lot. <laughs> and you're going to you're going to hear me say that uh, Jesse Matthews is just, or this character is just <laughs> so incredibly intelligent. She is very smart, and she must be. I I suppose the character can't be more than what twenty. I mean, you know, it's the 1930s and she's being married off by her parents. I'm assuming she's not very old. Right. But she is incredibly clever. (laughs) And I I think the first little hint you get of that is at the beginning where she receives a photo of her intended and you see her write something on it on it before she packs up and flees and then later her father is handed the photo by a servant and it says um yours and she's written never on it (laughs) (laughs) roland or whatever his name is yours never She's in the, uh, he pretty much uh, forces her into his den or whatever, why he and his fiance are having dinner, which is, she, which leaves her to just stare through the, the, uh, peak, the, uh, the keyhole, watching them, you watching know, wa- them watching Cora describe how <laughs> wonderful this food is. <laughs> and she hasn't had anything to eat. And she sits down and she sees this little, a goldfish bowl and the little goldfish swimming. <laughs> And she starts doing, mimicking the goldfish. <laughs> Her face. 
I, that that's another one of those scenes where you just can't help but giggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like this character is phenomenal. Cora, <laughs> who of course ends up spilling uh, water on her dress, <laughs> and to dry it, she decides she'll take it off and put it in front of the heater, or in in front of the fire, the electric fire, <laughs> and she'll just wear her coat. But she ends up finding out about uh, Annette being in the house, and she storms off without (laughs) putting her dress back on. So, (laughs) which Annette is the one that actually discovers she finds the dress. Wearing her coat, though. It is worth mentioning. Over her slip, she is wearing her coat. (laughs) And another one of those great lines, uh, she runs off and Annette points out the what she ran off without her dress that's I mean she's running around in her knickers yeah <laughs> well and, and I max know. and max says oh my gosh what will people people <laughs> <Yes>. think <laughs> my fiance what will people think and annette's response people will think she's lots of people's uh, she's, fiance. she's everyone's fiance <laughs> <laughs> it, i think this is this is a scene that points out how good the direction is in this i mean Granted, it's a little bit of a cheap shot, but it's very effective. Cora runs out, you know, furious. I love the line. She says, I never want to see you or speak to you again. I'm staying at such and such a hotel. And he goes, yes, dear. And she leaves. <laughs> <laughs> but then she gets outside and she wants to know how where, where the hotel is. And a man on the street is passing and she asks him. And he says, what? And she pulls her coat o- open and puts her hands on her hips and says it again. And, of course, her negligee is just hanging out there. And he's like, well, <laughs> and she slaps him. It's so funny. It's, you know, a testimony to, yeah, she's so upset. She's not even thinking about the fact that she left her dress behind. But <laughs> there's so much of it that's clever like that. Mm-hmm. From that point on, like you were said, the comedy of errors is exactly what, you know, um, Max has been invited to some party because they want to meet this fiance of his who he apparently <laughs> rescued from... <laughs> We learned that he actually apparently rescued her in the Alps. <laughs> he, yeah, her rope broke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And he's trying to not go, and a bunch of guys show up that are drunk beyond belief and pretty much <laughs> drag them out of the house. And he's trying to convince them, trying to find any excuse. Well, you go ahead. We'll follow, you know, anything. But they, of course, will not let it be and so they end up having to go and the whole ride there is like we'll go we'll get there you'll have a headache you'll go home (laughs) (laughs) but of course none of that happens and she gets introduced as his fiance (laughs) and so we've got a a comedy of errors and a uh a bit of comedy of um uh what's the word um where people think you're somebody else (laughs) oh (laughs) Um, mistaken identity. Thank you. Mistaken identity, <laughs> which all keeps playing in. And But, of course, when they meet her, they end up all loving her, especially when she does another song and dance number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that the same song keeps reoccurring, the I'll Stay With You song, you know, which, of course, is the title of the original movie. But I do love just before she goes into the party, of course, she's been forbidden from going in. But she's locked outside with the the chauffeur, and he sings just a little ditty. (laughs) I'll stay with you an hour or two. 
so you can yell until you're blue. Smash up the seat, the windows too. I'll stay with you. You're like a bird inside a cage. You can't be heard, so show your rage the whole night through. I'll stick like glue. I'll stay with you. And it's totally, it's worth seeing just for that. <laughs> After she's been torturing Max with this song, yeah. now somebody else is torturing her with the she's, song. <laughs> she's locked in the car. Max has taken the handles off the door. So she couldn't get out. Because you could do out. that back then. <laughs> yeah. So while the chauffeur is singing this little ditty, she's steaming the window up with her breath and then backwards writing idiot. <laughs> idiot. <laughs> and pointing. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. There's so, uh, so much of this movie. Uh, the first one of the first movies we reviewed was a kung fu movie, and we had such a hard time reviewing it because so much of it was action that it was difficult to describe. Yes. And unfortunately, that was not a great movie to watch. But no. this one is one where it's so hard to describe because so much of it is the action, but it's so worth seeing. Mm -hmm. If this had been a silent movie, it would have been very little less entertaining because of how great the action is all through it. Yes, yes. I think the fact that the both actors coming out of the silent era probably help uh, a little bit with that too. I, that's you know, very likely. Yeah, maybe and, they are just that little bit more exaggerated, mm -hmm, you know. Exactly. Um, they obviously are, are practiced that it's not just, I mean, you see some actors come out of silent when they just come out of the silent, they are so over the top in their gestures and the way they, and mm -hmm. their facial expressions and everything. And you can tell like, wow, we know where they got their yeah. start. <laughs> These, I think not, not the same, not, not, not the case here. They mm -hmm. are just a little exaggerated, but not so much that it's ridiculous. Yes, I agree. It, it's enough. It's enough to very clearly convey what's going on without being irritating. Well, and I think because it's a comedy, it kind mm -hmm. of works for that. It does it's okay work. to be a little bit. Her, she's got a very expressive face. Her eyes are <laughs> huge. Huge. She has huge eyes. <laughs> they even say that when they're describing her on the radio. Large brown eyes. <laughs> that's a great little bit of comedy, too. And that's where I think it's such a shame that her career couldn't extend into the 40s and 50s. Because mm. I'm watching that routine. They're, they're reading her description on the radio. And with everything that they say, she's trying to, like, sort of do the opposite. <laughs> Downplay yeah, <medium>, it. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Medium height. So she, like, stands on her tiptoes and really straight. So she looks taller. And, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, a fit, thin fit build, and so she's just sort of like <laughs> sticking her arms out to make herself look bigger. I love they say a small fringe, and she blows her bangs up. <laughs> yes, but that routine right there is like I could see someone like Lou Costello doing that. Yes, yeah, it's very much that kind of silent era comedy, and and it is a lot like stage acting. I hadn't thought about it until you said something a moment ago. But well, I, I, I was meaning that her her career didn't progress into the 50s or 60s because, you know, the males kind of took over all the comedic the roles, comedy. you, the, the real strong comedy roles. But that's mm -hmm. what I mean. It's like that kind of routine. I could see someone doing it 20 years later, 
But of course, it would have been someone like Lou Costello or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, I can't think of a, a strong comedy actress um, that did like physical comedy. The only one I can think of is Ginger Rogers. And mm-hmm. we don't think of her as being a great comedian, even though she she was. Uh, she's a phenomenal f- comedian. But I think you're right. I think a lot of the comic roles were taken over by men. I think a lot of just the lead parts were taken over and assigned to men. Well, and like I was saying, I think a little bit of that has to do with the, you know, post-war mm-hmm. era where it you you got a the women you suddenly had this era where, you know, the men were at war, so all the women did all the stuff that men had to do back at home. You know, mm-hmm. they're all in the factories and everything. Yes, the women can do what all the what the men can do. And then the men come back and then it's suddenly Okay, back to the kitchen and have your yeah, babies. Yeah, we don't want you, you know. to do what all the men do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a blowback there. A downplay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Every time you, you mention something, <laughs> it reminds me of another scene or something. You know, the the, the, well, the party scenes. The um, when we're at the party, uh, there is a scene where I love it. She because she keeps his. She's been trying to get food all day. Ever since the train platform, she's been trying to get food. And so she walks in and the butler wants to know, you know, if if she's there to see uh, Madame Duchesne, I think is who it is. And, uh, of course, Max's buddies recognize her. And so they come over and, you know, hurry her in. And Jack, I think is his name, or Jacques, he, he says, oh, there's come, come in, eat, drink and be merry. And she says, what? What did you say? And he says, I, I said, you know, let's dance. And she says, no, you said eat. Where do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and so they have this little progression where she's just trying to get a plate of food. But Jacques, who is completely drunk, <laughs> can keeps I say dragging shit-faced? Her, he is shit-faced. <laughs> keeps dragging her from one from from one plate to another, not letting her actually dish anything up. You try, oh, look at this. Oh, it's, it's, it's caviar. Oh, look, it's cold soul. Oh, look, do you know what that is? No, me neither. Uh, look at this one. <laughs> and she's just trying to get anything on her plate. I love it. To the so, point of actually trying to lift up an entire lobster. <laughs> and just shove anything in her mouth that she can. Well, finally, fortunately, she gets some. But uh, I, <laughs> there's some every time I start to talk about something, then all of the progressive scene rolls into my head and I want to say all of it. But that would make for a very dull conversation so uh but i love the bit uh, but the point that i wanted to make at some point she's surrounded by max's buddies and uh they're uh, ask her if she can dance or if she can sing uh she's been studying apparently max's fiance studies opera so mm-hmm. can she sing and she says yes and max is like no and she says no <laughs> <laughs> well it's in this scene right at the very beginning when they're all sitting down that david niven appears for just a little tiny ah, fraction of a second so he is he's, at the party he is at the party he's sitting down at the table when it's just her and a whole bunch of guys at the table and he's the the character you see him just for a moment he turns and he laughs and turns away from the camera and then he sits down with his back to the camera so if you're looking for him that's where I he is we'll look for him next time <laughs> i didn't see him until my third watch through <laughs> but i found him darn it and actually uh my husband and i were both looking for him and i'm the one that finally found him but he uh bear in mind at this time early on in his career he often did not have a mustache ah. I, think, 
I think that's what I'd be does. looking for. Well, oh, I think okay. he does have one in this scene. But if you look up pictures of him when he's very young, I think he looks very different when he's a much more mature person. So um, it's and of course the qualities. We should probably talk about the qualities of the, sure. the versions we've been watching. Yeah, um, the quality is not HD. So no, you're watching absolutely not. A, a, you're watching an older. You're watching an old movie with a little bit of blur to it. It's not mm-hmm. enough to be distracting. But it's not super crisp and clear, so it is harder to find a very obscure bit part with no words, (laughs) (laughs) even if it's somebody that later became highly recognizable. (laughs) I would love to see something like this, you know, remastered on Blu-ray or something like that. Oh, I hope people know about this film. Maybe, you know, this will be the big drive, the big push, this this oh, show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the word, guys. <laughs> to get are... this thing recognized, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the, the U.S. recognizes a lot of films as being sort of you know, important and it needs to be in the uh, the congressional archives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, get on it, Britain. I don't know if you've got the yeah, same thing. They... Where's the BFI, you know? <laughs> yes. There ne- this is one that needs to be preserved, and it would be great if it was remastered. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much to this movie. This movie is what I think I want all the movies of this era to be. There is tension without it being frustrating. <laughs> there's just loads and loads of humor, and the characters that are in it, there's not a single miscast character. Um, there's no obviously there's no obviously bad acting. I, I want to say there's no bad acting at all. We did mention that this is a 1932 film, so there is some exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Yes, but yeah, especially but most of that is with like the the bit the characters, bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or um, her father and her fiance. And, and the way, like, oh, uh, you know, I just, the, would you like to sign it now? No, no, I will wait. You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and I think those characters, I, I think if you've watched it three or four times, <laughs> it makes sense. You've got only a, a minute or two for them to very clearly get across the idea that this girl has been promised in marriage because her father wants to get five million francs invested in his company. And that's what her sort of... What's I guess it's his dowry, not her dowry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is okay. Well, if if I marry your daughter, I'll invest five million francs in your company. And if I don't marry your daughter, the minute that they say she's gone, uh, her fiance has the contract in his hands, ready to rip it in half. <laughs> I mean, literally that minute. And so, yeah, there's there is some overacting, but it's also, I think, in key moments where you really have to understand it's very it's important to understand it to the story of the movie yeah good point uh, yeah you have to like make an impression very fast because you're not mm-hmm. going to be in the rest of the movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're in this movie unless you're Annette or max you're not going to be in the rest of this movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true <laughs> you know i think it's okay to uh, kind of spoil it in the fact that you know it's a happy ending <laughs> we'll go to details shock you to know <laughs> yes yeah uh, it's not it's and it's a damned ending. cute and f- it, it's not an ending where you go, oh, well, of course, that's the way it has to end. This mm-hmm. is the ending that you're like, well, I'm glad that's the way this is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, I do like that it gets up to very close to the end and he still doesn't know who she is. 
And she still won't tell him. And at some point he says, you, you know, can't you, she says, can't you just believe me without my proving it to you mm-hmm. that I'm not a thief, essentially. And he says, you're asking a lot, awful lot of a man, of this man. And she says, oh, but it's awfully important to a girl, this girl. Right. <laughs> and, he's, and I love it. You've got this, you know, there's this connection between them, but it's still not a given. And I really like that little bit of uh, her character is that she wants him to believe her at her word. I think that's where you realize that's where she kind of starts realizing that she has feelings for him. Mm-hmm. And this, my word should be enough now. You mm-hmm. or, or she, she's starting to maybe get the impression that they're, that they both have feelings for each other. <laughs> and so, you know, Oh, the scene, there's the bit in, in the party. And I love it. Cause even though there are gags through it, usually the gag is drawn out or repeated or referenced again. And early on in the party, she says, don't you want to dance with me? And he says, no, I have to think. Yes. <laughs> and she keeps coming back again and saying, Oh, he's, you know, do you want to dance? Or are you thinking? You know? <laughs> and I love like at one point he's, he just starts dancing with her, but I love he's angry dancing with her. Right. It's so funny <laughs> he's just like so angry but he he's not angry about dancing with her he just is like sulking it's so funny <laughs> but it, it draws an interesting question at what point do they realize that they have feelings for each other and i i've had a moment to think about it i have an idea you've seen it a few more times than i have <laughs> shaking my fingers at you <laughs> well i i have a theory and my theory is on his part uh, when she slaps him on the train, <laughs> which is very early on. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the only place it makes sense where he's suddenly attracted to this woman. Because up until now, he's engaged to a woman that he's had to rescue. Mm-hmm. You know, he that's how they met. He rescued her and she calls him pet names. And she shows up unannounced and answers his phone. And she's just kind of overbearing without being Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-sufficient and here's this girl that is she's gonna stand up for herself dang it she doesn't need rescuing and if he insults her she's gonna slap him (laughs) right and i love it she slaps him and immediately she's like oh i'm sorry did Did it hurt hurt? (laughs) and he says no not at all but he (laughs) looks at her (laughs) he actually looks at her and and he you know, hey, you know how you know how Darcy looks at Elizabeth. Now he doesn't look at her that way, but he does actually look at her for the first time, rather than just thinking, "Oh, somebody's trying to steal my my satchel." You know, <laughs> I think it starts there. I mm. think that then it progresses to her singing the song and him being like, "Oh, wow, she is she's kind of cute." You know, right. <laughs> that kind of oh, I didn't really oh yeah, she's kind of cute. <laughs> Yo, his first fiance. They met because he rescued her. <laughs> I think Annette starts seeing her and seeing his life. And I think that's where she starts thinking, I need to rescue him. Ah, uh, I, I agree with that. I think the moment where she's looking through the keyhole and Cora's, you know, taking off her dress, but says, oh, turn around. No, don't look. Cover your eyes. And is very clearly teasing him. Yeah. And Annette gets very Oh, she's so offended on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And he's he suddenly becomes so subservient in that moment. And she's just like, oh, that's no way to treat him. I love that bit. I think 
you just you see her starting to stick up for him. And I think you're right. I think that you're right that she's starting to save him from himself, kind of. What was the, uh, what was the, she started, she was talking about the fiance and she's like, ha. He's like, what? I said, ha. And I meant it. <laughs> yes, I love that. I said, ha. And I meant every word. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, this is, uh, there. There's more that happens in this movie than we're talking about. And actually, I think that's one one bit where this movie really excels is there is something happening all the time in this movie. Yes. Oh, it is. It does not stop. <laughs> it doesn't. But it's not overwhelming. You're not like it's not it doesn't feel rushed at any point. And that's a big achievement to feel like there is always something happening. But it, at no point does the movie feel rushed. You don't feel like you had a scene cut that was really important. You, there's nothing missing. Yeah, and in a, a film that's only a little over an hour long. Barely, yeah. It, that's that's a huge achievement. I think a lot of movies from this time period, uh, recently we watched one and we kept saying, I think we're missing scenes. Or maybe it was, uh, oh, I and I don't even recall right now which film it was, but they ended the movie in like three minutes. It went from full movie to, oh, all of a sudden it just ended in three minutes. And you don't have that in this. Mm-mm. It is really strong writing. It's it's good dialogue. It's excellent direction. Very good acting. And the the writing of the script and the concept and all of the progression of it is, I would say, masterful. It yeah. is much better than I think you would expect to see in this time. This film almost instantly, when I started watching it, I think it probably wasn't even five, ten minutes into the film <laughs> before I started thinking, this is going to be one of my new favorite movies. I mean, <laughs> this is going to be one of these these movies that it's like, I just want to watch something and giggle and, and mm-hmm. just have fun watching. And th- like I said, it's just a little over an hour long, so it's like super easy to fit into any night, any day where you just want to <laughs> you just want to sit back and just enjoy a film and Maybe maybe not always pay attention to it. Maybe it's something you could have on in the background, but it's going to... You can look up at your favorite parts. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to pull your attention away from whatever you're doing, though. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I said I watched it two and a half times today, so... <laughs> well, I, I watched it the one full time, uh, just um, Friday... No, Sunday night, I guess it was. I watched it all the way through. And then uh, before we were recording, why I've... I did all my little notes and everything, and I wanted to go through, and I just wanted to remind myself of a couple lines, so I remember to say them right and everything. And so I just started watching, and I, so I got about you know, 20, 30 minutes in, and I'm sitting there <laughs> just get cackling to myself, <laughs> in my, sitting at my computer just kind of giggling at, at it again. So, yeah. Yeah, I think when we were talking about what film we were going to do next and we decided on this one, I thought, well, I'll I'll just get a few minutes in. I wasn't quite tired yet at the end of that recording. And I think I texted you about three minutes in and I said, this girl is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) She and she didn't she doesn't stop. I went back, you know, when I went back and watched it, I'm like, she's wonderful. She's fantastic. And I the only reason I think that we're not mentioning Max over and over again is because just Jesse Jesse Matthews just steals the show in this. Yeah, she She's is the star. So perfect, she really is, and he's excellent. She, it, it's like they say in ballroom dancing: the man is the frame, and the woman is the painting. And mm. he does that perfectly. He is yeah. there for her to respond off of, and she, and he allows her to do that perfectly. It is like watching a dance. She's the he's the straight man he's to her. her. Yep. 
comedy. I, it, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit of a, a reversal. I think of like uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen, mm-hmm. you know, and she was like always the straight <laughs> woman. She had to set up George for all the jokes or whatever. This mm-hmm. is really a, 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 a gender switch on that kind of uh, on that duo. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think it's balanced well. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like he's setting her up. Right, exactly. But, but he is, he, he's perfect at it. He's, yeah. He's the quintessential British guy. <laughs> <laughs> Older British gentleman, yes. actually. Which is yes. funny because, of course, they're supposed to be French. But <laughs> all of this takes place in France. They're in Paris. Obviously, everybody's speaking the same language, even though, of course, it's all British people. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I, he, honestly, I, I assumed that they're all British that happen to live in France or whatever. But then I'm actually looking at the credits and I'm like, oh, wait, no, Annette that's Marcon, Annette Macquan. Ma- yeah. Ma- Max, who knows? Cora Clark, right. Madame Duchesne, Jacques. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, nope, they are all supposed to be French. <laughs> that's so funny. It, which, is, which I was wondering, that's one of the things I really wanted to know about the original German version. Is it set in France or is yeah. it set in Germany? Yeah, that's so interesting. Why would you remake a German film and then set it in France? I, so, if you're British. <laughs> yeah, if you're British. Yeah. And so I wonder if the original movie was set in France. It would be very interesting to know. So if mm-hmm. anybody knows, please tell us. <laughs> There's yes. so, many, so many questions that are unanswered outside of this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's brilliant. But I guess we ought to make a, official ratings. Um I was going to try to just say, you know, I was going to try to be um, conservative and just say, well, you know, it's not like a groundbreaking film or anything like that. (laughs) So I can't give it a five. But you know what? I'm going to. I just absolutely (laughs) love this film. I was just telling my wife before we recorded, it's like, you know, you should really sit down and watch this one with me because it's a lot of fun. And she's like, is it okay for Ben? I'm like, oh, yeah, we could do it a family. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I made made Jack watch it. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting. I think, too, when I was thinking about it earlier, I kind of had in my mind to give it four stars. But, you know, we we talk a little bit about the technical aspect of it. When you take into account this was written by the guy that directed Harvey, (laughs) which is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you haven't seen Harvey, uh, if you can't appreciate Harvey, you can't appreciate film, period. Um, that I'm sure, I hope I get backlash for that. Yell at me. Tell me I'm (laughs) wrong, guys. It is just possibly the best story about a about people. I mean, it's, it's on a, it's on a level with Jane Austen's books. It just is about people. It's brilliant. When you take into account that one of the writer, the, the top build writer on this movie directed Harvey. Um, it's not a stretch to see how those they're influenced to how they're in that same kind of sphere how they share influence. Um, the the writing is exceptional. The story, of course, is, is it's such a simple story. It's not anything that you've not seen before. You've just not seen it this good before. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about, the casting is excellent. The acting is fantastic. The characters are, you love every character in this movie. 
I can't think of a character in this movie that I just hate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's nobody that you maybe maybe her her parents were trying to marry her say. off, but <laughs> but even then, you know, you can see how uh, you know a doting father might just be trying to preserve his daughter's future. <laughs> if you want to stretch it, that's not anywhere in the movie. But all of that to say, of course, you guys know where I'm going with this. This is this long monologue, like the movie, is going to end exactly how it should. And I have to give it five stars. Yep. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's a lot great with it. Yeah. And actually, the, the more I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking, I, I can easily justify this just because of some of the stuff I said earlier. The fact that you have such a strong female lead, mm-hmm. which is not something that we see and years after this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's a woman that is, or a character that is a woman who is very, she's aggressive. She's not shy. She She's sitting there eating food and just shoveling, being very <laughs> unladylike. She's ripping the tail out of the lobster, you know, by hand. Um, and it's so refreshing to see in a film from 1932 Mm-hmm. Uh, to see a character like this. And uh, so I, I think just on that ground alone makes it a film that people need to watch. Yeah. And she's clever. I think mm-hmm. that's so much of it is even even women who are portrayed as intelligent in this time period are are not in control the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And she's in control the whole yes. movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. You you see a woman character that might be a little bit like this, but some of the things she does, you could easily go, oh, well, that's because the plot said so. Because, yes. you know, you needed to do that in order to get to this next part. At no point do you feel that with this one. Mm-hmm. You really feel like she's controlling everything that goes on. Mm-hmm. At every moment, she's looking for the way to get the upper hand and she achieves it and achieves it well it, and, and achieves it without becoming unlikable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really exceptional in a movie for a film that was just sort of like you know throw a dartboard and we picked it (laughs) i just so thrilled with this one so much fun to absolutely people go out and watch there goes the bride 1932 you will not be disappointed i i will no one could watch this film and be disappointed and i'll die on that hill (laughs) (laughs) well it's so funny okay so the we i i think you and i noticed but we didn't even mention it um there is a movie made in 1980 something called there goes the bride let Mm -hmm. me find it real quickly yeah you know i didn't actually research i didn't click to see research it to see if this was actually if that was another remake yeah 1980 um so don't don't be confused. The 1984 stars on IMDb is not this movie. I don't think it is. It may have been loosely inspired by this movie, but okay. it is not the same plot okay. at all. Uh, just from reading. Just little, shared a name. I had meant to watch it, and I actually just liked this movie so much I completely forgot about watching the 1984. <laughs> you just watched this one. You just, <laughs> just watched it over and over. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely. Uh, if, when you go looking for this, There Goes the Bride will show up from 1980. Please don't watch that thinking that it's a direct remake. It's not. Um, definitely watch the 1930. I, I find myself occasionally where I just get in the mood to watch a certain film. For some reason, I just like fall in love with a film. I, there's something about it, and I just like, you know, I'm just going to watch that again. <laughs> I got all these other things to watch, but I'm going to watch this film again. This past year, I've actually just been completely enamored with a film called The Ghost of Dragstrip Hollow. Okay. Which is kind of like a, it's an 
a precursor to all like the Annette Funicello beach movies, like yes. you know, and stuff. Okay, it's about you know the 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 teens or the stars mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I stumbled on this movie on Amazon Prime, and now I've watched it like four or five times in the last <laughs> year. And now I have like another film. To, <laughs> you know, I, I I can watch this one or that one easily anytime. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I wish I love that it. now film, you have two. <laughs> yeah, I wish the Ghost of Drexel Powder were. Uh, I wish that one was public domain. I would have loved. I'd love to talk about it on I'll this show. I'll have to look it up. Well, it is interesting. They're definitely. It's funny as we're watching movies, other movies come up that I think, oh, I need to watch that. You know, so I love that you bring that up. That there, there are other movies that we can't cover. There are not in our sphere, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, that you should definitely watch, and uh, we're happy to d- discuss those on the Facebook page. Absolutely. Entertainment. (laughs) Um, Feel free to ask us there what our other favorite movies are that are not public domain. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, add this one to your list. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Lydia, for joining me on this one. This was an absolute treat. It was fun to watch. It was fun to talk about. And I'm probably going to go watch it again real (laughs) shortly. Maybe not tonight, but maybe, you know, I I don't think the week's going to go go out without me watching this movie again. Oh, I already did. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it while we were recording. No, I didn't. <laughs> but it is, it is worth it. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for inviting me to watch it with you. I've, I have had a blast many, many times watching this movie. <laughs> yes. So that is going to do it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you have watched this film. If you have not watched this film yet, I hope we've inspired you to go watch this film. And uh, hopefully, in another month, we'll come back and have a similar experience. Um, oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, real quick, if you want to watch it, you can find it on our YouTube channel, Orphaned Entertainment. There are a couple of other versions out there. You can download one at archive.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not, it is a clearer version, but it's a little bit choppier and a little bit distorted over the one that I found on YouTube. So there are a couple of different options out there, but you probably won't go wrong looking at the one on YouTube. Yep, great. Yeah, I think I originally downloaded it from the archive, but I started watching it and I ended up with some audio issues. It was, uh, it may have been just the download. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So I ended up finding it on a, on a, on a, on a YouTube channel. I don't think I've got it uploaded to our channel yet. By the time you hear this, it will be. At the time of recording, I don't think it is. But yeah, I found it on on YouTube, and it was a a, a fine copy. So mm-hmm. you know, as as good a quality as I think you're going to find. So might go back and get that one for our own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's going to do it. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you in another month. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.